You're tuned into the Chug LLP's podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration, and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues. And welcome to Chug. My name is Neha Mahajan and I'm the Business Development and Outreach Manager at Chug LLP Attorneys and CPAs. Today, we're going to be talking about interfiling and we're going to be talking about adjustment of status when applying for a green card under the employment-based category. So the employment-based category two for those born in India or the Indian nationals has seen some massive movement since October 2020. Dates have been moving quite rapidly. Fast forward to 2022. USCIS still hasn't been able to issue green cards to most of the folks who applied for their adjustment of status under these AB2 and AB3 categories. Since January of 2022, USCIS has been encouraging almost everybody with a pending I-485 application in the EB3 category to transfer their underlying petition and interfile it. This transfer process is called Interfiling, of course, they should be eligible to do so. And I understand there's a lot of anxiety and confusion about this process. And this is why we have partner and attorney, Ms. Angelita Chavez from our Kennewick office in the state of Washington. She's our speaker today. Hello, Angelita. Welcome. And so good to see you back here. Hello, Neha. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, absolutely. And so do you. And thank you so much. For- so as we dive into the discussion today, Angelita, I want to ask you some very basic questions about interfiling, just because there's just so much confusion about this entire process. So also just want to reiterate a disclaimer that the discussion today is for informational purposes only and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Angelita, my first question to you is, how do I even know if I'm eligible to interfile? Is anybody under EB3 category eligible to interfile in EB2? Sure. So the issue with this is that USCIS requires a few different things in order to meet the eligibility requirements to actually do the interfile request with USCIS and switch to a different category. So first of all, you have to have a form I-485 that's currently pending with USCIS under with an original I-140. And then if you, for some reason, have a different employment-based category that you qualify under, you have a separate I-140 application. So let's say that you had an EB-2 and then you downgraded to EB-3, right? So now you have two categories that you're eligible for, EB-2 and EB-3. So in that situation, whatever your current category that you're under, you may be eligible to interfile it back to a different, to the prior category or a different category if you have that I-140. So USCIS has said that they will, in their discretion, grant this interfile request to a different category because for some reason that category is moving faster. For example, if you have maintained continuous eligibility for adjustment of status, so you have to maintain that eligibility, you have to have an original I-45 based on that I-140 still pending with USCIS, that means that they have not made a decision. You also have to be eligible for that new category. So if you are not eligible, let's say you were under EB3 and you're not eligible under EB2, you would not be able to file this. So you have to be eligible for that. And you have to have a visa immediately available under that new category. The benefits of this are that 
let's say you are eligible under a new category, you don't have to pay the USCIS filing fees again for a new application, and you don't have to do all of the adjustment of status application forms again. So these are some of the benefits to interfiling. All right, I'm assuming it's relatively easy to interfile. How does interfiling work actually? Yeah, so it is pretty straightforward uh, for the most part. You do need to have a written request to USCIS and USCIS has an address that they want you to use specifically. So in addition to obviously providing eligibility with your I-140s, you will be required to file a new Supplement J confirmation of bona fide offer of employment to request that portability to the new category. And so you submit that request And don't forget to also include any of your applicant dependents. So let's say you have a spouse and you have or children who are applying with you under your preference based categories. You can't just switch your own. You should switch your family members along with you and request the interfile for your families as well. So you would be able to file that written request with the new supplement J signed by your employer and you file it to the USCIS Western Form Center, which is the office in Montclair, California. And that is where USCIS has recently decided, just I believe it was either late last year or early this year, that they want you to file in Montclair and nowhere else for these interfiling requests. Right. Just for everybody's benefit, I'm going to read out the address. It is the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, USCIS Western Form Center, 10 application way, Montclair, California, 91763-1350. All right, so you need to be eligible, right? You need to send a written request to USCIS and you must have your date be active, your visa be active, be, be available. So now I think my next question, you've already answered that. Does my priority date need to be current in EB2 category in order to be interfiled, which I assume is yes, based on the discussion we just had. Yeah, correct. Uh, So you do have to have the visa immediately available. So if it's not immediately available under that preference category, unfortunately, you are unable to file that request. So in other words, your priority date has to be current according to the final action dates or the table A chart. So of the visa bulletin. So if you look at the visa bulletin under table A, your priority date has to be current on there, which means a visa is available for you. And therefore, you can do that interfile request under that new category with USCIS. That is correct. Right. And you mentioned earlier that one must write to USCIS. Can I not just simply make a phone call to USCIS and tell them, hey, listen, I want to interfile? <laughs> that would be great. Well, but you know what? <laughs> Calling USCIS can also take quite a long time. They can take quite a long t- time to get back to you. You might have to wait a long time that day or, or even wait for their call to several days before they get back to you. So actually filing the request in writing is the preferred method. USCIS has indicated that that is what they want you to do. They want you to file that request in writing. Don't call, don't try to use Emma because they want you to do that in writing at that Montclair address. All right. Can I interfile my I-485 multiple times? Sure. So USCIS is specifically from their guidance. They have indicated that they it could be possible. There's a potential to be able to file multiple interfiling requests between the first three employment-based categories. In between those preference-based categories, it's possible potentially to be able to do that. However, for all other categories, all other requests, once you have your interfiling request granted, you're not permitted to do a new interfiling request. So within the first three employment-based, potentially yes. With all others, definitely not. USCIS would not permit it. 
All right. And how does one know that the interfile request has been granted by USCIS? I assume USCIS doesn't really send a receipt notice for interfiling. Actually, there's no communication after that. They just go vanish somehow. Yeah. So the only way you'll know is if the supplement J has been approved because USCIS does not issue any formal receipts for this interfiling request. So there's no interfiling receipt that you'll get that says, oh, we've received your request for interfiling. You will not get any of that from USCIS. What you will get is a supplement J receipt notice, a new one for, for what you have submitted. And that's going to tell you that it's pending, etc. And the Supplement J does have to be approved in order for them to even approve your green card. So if your right. Supplement J is not approved, this means that they have not approved your green card or that they're not approving your interfiling request. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, that weight can be really anxiety inducing. So another question I have for you is, can four, I-485 be ported to a new employer after interfiling request has been made? So one thing to keep in mind about porting, so let's say you do meet the eligibility criteria under AC21 to be able to port to a new employer. Once you have filed that interfiling request to switch categories, your portability clock, that 180-day portability clock, does restart. This is according to the FAQs by USCIS. So that's one thing to keep in mind that will be happening. So that's going to be the impact in your situation. All right. All right. So and, and also, I think it's uh, like you mentioned before, I'm asking you this question because there's this question that has come up. Do I need to be in valid non-immigrant status in order to interfile? I think the answer is yes. What do you what do you say? So USCIS actually requires that at the time of filing your application of status, that you are in valid status at the time and that you remain eligible to actually adjust status throughout the duration. So if you are for some reason ineligible to adjust status because something has happened, and at the time of filing the interfile request, you also have to be eligible to adjust status. So anything that could impact your case that would make you ineligible to adjust status will impact eligibility to do the interfile. That's why it's yeah. very important to talk to an experienced immigration attorney if yeah. there is something in your background, something that has occurred, a crime, or something that you think would impact your eligibility to actually get your green card. Talk to an attorney before you file your interfile request. Get clarification on any of your questions because those would be the requirements that you must have been in valid non-immigrant status at the time of filing this employment-based adjustment and that you remain eligible throughout up until obviously the application is approved. And this applies at the interfile as well. All right. There's another question. I have already submitted an interfiling request to USCIS field office or the service center. Can I file another request based on the new USCIS guidance? So if you already have a pending interfile request, that means that you filed it prior to the new guidance and you filed it at some service center or wherever it was that your case was pending, you do not want to file a new interfile request at the Montclair address. Why? Because that's going to create confusion. USCIS does not want you to file a subsequent interfile if you already have one pending. Yeah. So definitely do not do that. It's not going to be helpful to your case. It's not going to help anything move along faster. It's just probably going to create confusion for you and for the officer who's working on your case if they have yeah. multiple interfiles for the same thing and they're coming right. at different places. So if you already have one, do not submit a subsequent one based on the new guidance. The old one right. will work just fine. 
All right. And you do not want to confuse USCIS. Please, you know, it will only cause more d delays for your particular case. So let's just not do anything. Another question that's, do I need to be currently employed by the I-140 petitioner in order to interfile? Yeah, so that's a really great question. One reminder about the way that these employment-based adjustments of status work is that when, you, or the preference-based categories like AB2, AB3, for example, is that these are based on a PERM, okay? And the PERM is a permanent offer of employment once you get your green card. So this is a future eligibility for employment. So this means that at the time that you actually become eligible and you actually get your green card, that is when you have to start working for that sponsoring employer. So if you are, let's say you're on H1B, you're working for a separate employer, that it's, you're not necessarily required to be with your current sponsoring employer at the time it's right. for future employment it's for when you actually get your green card so at the time of getting your green card yes you must be with that sponsoring employer but keep in mind that when you're filing these interfiles you do have to have a supplement j from that employer who's sponsoring you so right. regardless you have to have that relationship with that sponsor and they have to intend to hire you you have to intend to be working for that employer at the time of your green card Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that because I know a lot of people get confused about this particular situation, especially those who are in tricky situation with their managers. It can get really crazy. Another question that's coming in is, is my interfiling request guaranteed to be approved? Good question. So, no, <laughs> no, it is. It is. That's that's a short of it. Right. Uh, no, it is not guaranteed. This is a discretionary process. It's a discretionary grant. USCIS has uh, there's a lot of discretion in terms of the decisions and the officers and what they can do. And in this situation, they are permitted to consider a different category if you're eligible for that category. But it doesn't mean that they'll grant it. Right. So if you meet all the eligibility criteria, Yes, you can file that request with USCIS, but you are in no way guaranteed that just because you file, just because you meet the criteria requirements, that they will actually grant you that mm -hmm. uh, new category. So there's no guarantee for that. All right. Sorry. You know, it's just a provision that USCIS has provided doesn't mean that your case would be approved just on the basis of filing. Again, the disclaimer, this is this discussion is for informational purposes only, it does not create an attorney-client relationship. Another question, and I think people really get confused about it, Analita, is for the interfiling request, do I have to use the same attorney who filed my I-140 and 485? Yeah, so it's not a requirement. One benefit, obviously, of, of having the same attorney is that, hey, this person, they know your case. They have your information, they have your background, they know your case in and out. That's a benefit of actually using the same attorney, but it's not necessarily required. However, if you do decide to use a new attorney, there's a new attorney who is going to be representing or doing that interfiling request because it requires a supplement J with that employer. That employer also would probably have to sign a new G28 with a new attorney. You would have to file a G28 with that new attorney. And that new attorney submits this form G28, which effectively notifies USCIS that you're representing them in that process. And that's how they would be able to do the new representation on the interfile request. So it's not required, but you can see the benefits of maintaining the same attorney throughout yeah. due to those, it just makes things a little bit easier. Yeah, absolutely. And makes so much sense. There's this, an attorney who understands your case and your entire history for adjustment of status completely inside out. So unless it's really, really critical for you to move on to a different attorney, just stick with them and get this sorted out. Another question that's coming in is, how does interfiling affect my ability to change employers? Does it even affect? 
Yeah, so as I mentioned previously, USCIS has indicated that the 180-day portability clock restarts, mm -hmm. right, when you do these requests. Oh. So yes, yeah, you can see that if your portability clock of the 180 days for AC21 is going to restart, that does impact the ability. So that's one of the ways in which it'll impact. You have to restart the 180 days. But honestly, this is the kind of question that you definitely want to discuss with an attorney, experienced immigration attorney, because there may be other things that may be impacting your case when you file this interfile request to switch categories. So always, always important. Talk to someone who's experienced. Hopefully it's somebody who already knows your case as well, because they can provide the best guidance and, and let you know better, right, exactly how these things could potentially impact you. But just keeping right. that 180 days in, in, in mind, that's one of the sure ways that this will impact the ability to port under AC21. A lot of people who filed for I-485 and got their EAD, their work authorization, so that they can continue to work, really haven't received their green cards yet, right? Can they still interfile and take, you know, benefit of the situation? Yeah, there. as far as we know, there should not be any reason why yeah. just using your EAD to work that's based on adjustment is going to prevent you from interfiling. So there really should be no reason why you should be prevented from filing an interfiling request to a different category. If you are eligible, if you qualify and you meet all the requirements, just working on your EAD uh, should not necessarily have an impact as, as far as we know. Okay, all right. Another question. My concurrent EB3 downgrade I-140 petition is still pending. Can I still interfile? Yeah, so this is a situation in which, let's say you were under an EB2, right? And then you downgraded to EB3 and that downgrade's still pending. But then now EB2 is moving faster, right? You have all of these <laughs> different movements in the, in the visa categories. In this scenario, you should be able to submit the interfile request with USCIS if you qualify, even if the EB3 downgrade is still pending with USCIS. So you, sh you should be able to. But again, always talk to an experienced immigration attorney just to make sure that there's nothing yeah. else impacting that ability to do your request. All right. Thank you, Anelita. Now, this question about how much time does it take to interfile? My priority date is June 2012. I downgraded my application and filed under EB3 in October 2020. I got my EAD AP, but since then I have no information on my green card What's going on? Yeah, unfortunately, so many folks, so many adjustment of status applicants are experiencing the exact same thing. Unfortunately, there are no clear processing times for interfiling. This really depends on USCIS caseload and then the processing times, of course, of the, those categories. And the reason, well, first of all, we have to think about COVID. We have to think about all the backlogs that are existing. But another reason is because the interfile process is not a process that's written in statute or any regulations. Okay, yeah. this is not based on statute. This is actually what's called an ad hoc process. It's mentioned in a 2000 INS memo, and it's also in the chapter eight of the USCIS policy manual that essentially just kind of indicates, yes, USCIS is able to consider preference-based category, a different preference-based category for that adjustment of status if applicant if they qualify. So it's not a formalized statute or regulation in which you can rely upon. And it's really only been since February of this last year that USCIS really started urging applicants uh, who are eligible to switch to different preference-based categories due to these backlogs, due to the caseload, you know, to help shift some of the burden from some USCIS servant centers to others to hopefully speed up the process for you because 
things are just taking quite a long time. So unfortunately, there's no exact processing time. You can't look it up for interfiles. You have to kind of based on the processing times of your adjustment of status application, when it was filed, and uh, what service center or, or office it's located in. And those are probably the best estimated times. Right. Well, that's the sad reality. You know, people have just waited over a decade for the dates to become current, for the visas to be available. And after it did become available, they're into another mess situation for no fault of theirs. Probably USCIS never even thought there'll be such a situation where they'll have to introduce into filing, like you rightfully mentioned. All right. So the another question that's coming up is, will my case be processed faster? If I file a second form I-485 instead of doing an interfile request? Yeah, this is such a great question because technically you do have that option, right? You have the option of either filing a fresh I-485 based on the new I-140. So in this situation, you have an EB-2 I-140, EB-3 I-140, and one is moving faster than the other. You have a pending I-485 with the I-140 that uh, is moving slower. So now you want to speed it up, try to get your green card faster. So you want to potentially file a new I-485 based on the preference-based category that's moving faster on that other I-140. However, USCIS, again, in, our F in their FAQ have noted and, and to us that filing a new form I-485 may actually have the opposite effect of what you intend. It might actually, what they say is that they it will actually burden USCIS and, and it provide, give them extra caseload uh, and burden their current caseload. So potentially filing the inter, doing the interfile request is a much smoother, better process for the officers because it doesn't add another I-45 that they have to adjudicate. It just transfers that same I-45 mm -hmm. to a new preference-based category. So in reality, what we're hearing from USCIS is that filing a new 45 will not result in faster adjudication. And you also have to keep in mind that the processing times quite long. So you file a new I-45 and that's going to be pending as of the date that it's filed with a total, you know, from zero, right, all over again. Mm -hmm. So okay. so all the time that you've spent on your other I-45, it's not necessarily going to be applied to your new I-45, but interfiling does facilitate that because it's the same I-45. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that in such great uh, detail. Now, there's another uh, question coming in, and this is, our priority date is current, our case is at NBC Center, and our fingerprinting is done. However, we've moved to a new apartment after our fingerprinting was done. Per USCIS's website, we must update our address with USCIS to ensure receiving all correspondence in a timely manner. How can we change the address with USCIS so that we do receive all the information that we need to receive from USCIS? Yeah, this is another really great question. USCIS requires that your change of address be done within 10 days of moving, number one. So definitely file that change of address as soon as you move to the new address. Don't you don't file it before, but as soon as you move within 10 days of moving, the easiest and honestly fastest way to do the change of address is just to go online, go to the USCIS.gov website, click on their tools tab, from the tools tab, you'll be taken to a screen that actually has just right there, easy button to click on to change your address with USCIS. I do have some tips on that now. I think it's quite important to keep in mind sure. that um, let's say you are filing your change of address and you have family members, make sure each family member also files a change of address separately. 
And then when you're filing that change of address, USCIS allows you to include all of the receipts for everything that's pending with them. So make sure you would note, don't just include your I-45, but let's say you have an I-765, your employment authorization document. Let's say you have your travel document, right? You have different things pending. Make sure that you file a change of address based on all of the receipts that, that you submitted and then that you actually save that confirmation that you filed a change of address for your records. Super important. Okay. I know that you can also try to do these over the phone, but again, reaching yeah. officers live is just increasingly more difficult. You might be waiting a long time. So if you have access to the internet, definitely USCIS.gov tools tab, and then go to the change of address section. And then you'll be able to just follow those instructions very clear, do it for each applicant, do it for all of your receipt notices that you have pending. And I would say that you're, you'll be, you'll be good on that. All right. Thank you. One last question. And I think this is very interesting because when people do get the green card, they would love to travel around, but then there's a catch. So my friend recently received his green card and traveled to India for three months. He returned back in May and is planning to go back again for another three months in September. What is the maximum period of time he can travel outside of U.S. without jeopardizing his green card renewal? Please advise. Yeah, it's super important that once you get your green card that you actually maintain, you know, your green card status. And one of the ways of maintaining your green card status is obviously living in the United States, right? Having all of your your life here, your employment, your homes, your, you know, anything ties right to the United States. And also one of the things that greatly impacts is, is travel. So traveling for six months or more, that's going to break the continuous residency, continuous presence requirements for purposes of naturalization. So anytime you travel for six months or more, you're going to have issues at the time of naturalization. Your continuous physical presence and residency is going to be questioned. You might get a denial from for your naturalization based on that travel for six months or more. But the really the huge, huge, even bigger issue than six months is if you travel for one year or more without applying for some sort of travel document. If you do that at the one year mark, USCIS will assume that you have abandoned your green card. Technically, they can use any time that you spend abroad to raise that argument, right? Technically, but the true, true issues are come at, at over six months and at exactly a year. If you are abroad for a year or more without applying for some sort of travel document in advance of that, then you will likely have be assumed that you will be abandoning your green card. This means that you might have issues returning to the United States or in the future when you become a U.S. citizen, you have to be a legal permanent resident for either three years if you're married to a U.S. citizen or you have to have do that for five years if you are a green card holder through other preference-based yeah. categories. So in those situations, super important that if you want to become a U.S. citizen, in the future, or you want to make sure that you are able to enter the United States, you're not traveling for six months or more, keep it under that. Um, because you have to be really living here in the United States. If right. that is not your purpose, if you really don't want to live here, maybe the green card is not the best option. Because the fact is that a green card is not a visitor visa. It is not for the purposes of just being able to come in and out and travel and be out as long as you want. It's really for purposes of establishing a life here in the United States, of maintaining your residence here, taking advantage of all of the benefits that come with being a green card holder. And that being said, travel abroad for such lengthy periods of time are, is not recommended. All right. When you say six months, is that in a year or in an entirety uh, for the validation of the green card? So that's continuously. So continuously okay. six months. We don't want you to be abroad. Just this just really 
if you don't want to have issues, if you don't want that travel to be impacting your ability for a future citizenship or, or ability to re even re-enter the United States, definitely don't travel for six months or more. Make sure your travels are under that. But again, every time you come to the United States, every time you travel into the United States, you're presenting yourself for admission, okay? Yeah. So even if you don't travel for a lengthy period of time, you are still being subject again to the admissibility requirements of being able to come to the U.S. and any reason can be used such as crimes or other potential problems, issues that might come up where you may be prevented from entering the United States. So having a green card does not guarantee entry. All right. Thank you so much, Attorney Chavez, for this detailed and such an uh, informative session today. This brings us to the end of our discussion today. We talked all about interfiling and adjustment of status. Please send us your questions. Info at chook.com. We'll be happy to answer all of those for you so that the green card process, which is really, really, really time consuming and anxiety inducing, becomes slightly more better. This journey becomes a little bit more smoother for you. And that's what we intend to do here at Chug LLP. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our work, please visit our websites at www.chug.com for legal and immigration and www.chug.net for tax. Be sure to subscribe to get regular business insights from the Chug LLP team. 